Good morning, 1030. How you doing this morning? Awesome. So good to see you. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. I am Jeannie Stevens. I'm the other one. And we are so glad that you are here. If you're here in this space, if you're gathered in Overflow, or if you're watching online right now, we are so excited uh, to kick off a brand new teaching series this weekend. But before we get into what God has for us this weekend, I just want to pause for a second and celebrate last weekend. Last weekend was an unbelievable weekend in our church. Last weekend we celebrated baptism, and it was an amazing celebration. Get this, get this. 55 folks got baptized last week in our church. How awesome is that? Amazing. Stories of transformation. Newly formed folks in relationship with Jesus. Folks who had said yes to Jesus years ago, but had never gotten baptized for whatever reason. What a celebration of transformation we had last weekend. And here's a quick fun story. Uh, A woman was watching online at our 830 gathering. A lot of folks watch online. And she was watching online at 830, saw what God was doing, realized she had never made that step of getting baptized before, got dressed, drove over, and got baptized at 1230. How (laughs) awesome is that? That's pretty cool. I love that. And so we are so excited to celebrate and be caught up in what God is doing in and through his church. And we are kicking off a brand new teaching series today called Girl Bosses of the Bible. And we're going to explore and look at women that God has used to move his kingdom forward, both throughout the Bible and as, we, as you already heard Abella mention, throughout our church. And I want to be really clear right off the bat, this is not just a teaching series for women. This is for men and women, as you're going to see today in our message. This is for men and women. And it's not just for people who think of themselves as bosses. If you refer to yourself as a boss, you might want to pump your brakes a little bit. uh, Because this is for all of us. Because all of us have leadership in our lives. In one way or another, you have leadership in your life. And what we want to do is leverage what God has given us to move his kingdom forward on this earth. So we are so excited to kick this series off. Yeah, we we can't wait to look at these different girl bosses in the Bible. And you know, there's been a ton of studies done on what makes a great boss, what makes a great leader, what makes a great influencer. And on so many of the lists that uh, have been researched, so much of what makes a great boss, what shows up so often is a boss that is generous a leader that is generous, not just financially, but a a boss that is generous with opportunities, a boss that is generous with exposing uh, the people that they lead to lots of different experiences. And uh, I love that generosity shows up on the list of what makes a great boss. You know, generosity not only shows up on what makes a great leader, generosity has also been studied to make people more happy that the generous people of our world are the happier people of our world. And so that's why I love that every time we dive into our message, we pause so that we can actually practice generosity. It's good for us. It grows us. It changes us. It transforms us, as Abella just said, about our mission here. We want to be people that are transformed. So that is why we become people that give. In fact, you know, you just got to hear about how generosity in this church is being used in El Salvador, which is so cool to see that those of us that give here, your giving is making a difference on the other side of the world. It's not just making a difference on the other side of the world, it's making a difference right down the street. Uh, One of our partners, the Near West Little League, kicked off yesterday. Uh, They kicked off their uh, awesome, awesome season, and you, Soul City Church, threw an opening day party for them, which is so cool. So when you give here, your giving impacts people in El Salvador as much as it impacts your neighbors right down the street. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. And you get to grow as a generous person in the process. So I just want to say to those of you that give here, thank you. Those of you that are thinking about giving here, your generosity is put to work when you give here. So we just want you to know that. So I want to invite our host team to come forward. Uh, They're going to receive uh, our offering right now. Uh, We do that three different ways around here. Many of you like to text in to give. Uh, You can just text in the number that's on the screen. Lots of people love to set up online giving. That's how Jarrett and I have always given from the beginning of this church. Uh, It allows us to actually grow our giving over time and to be consistent. And then lots of people love the opportunity to actually give in this moment um, so that they can feel what it feels like to let their grip be loosened on the things that God has given to them. So thank you to those of you that give here. Uh, This last week I had a a incredible, um, how shall we call it, opportunity uh, to be an adult chaperone on our son's sixth grade Madison trip. 
and it was an overnight trip with uh, over 100 sixth graders. I just want you to pause and consider why you didn't pray for me more this last <laughs> week. Uh, it was an intense experience. It was so much fun. And uh, it was so cool to get to uh, see these kids in their environment go absolutely wild. And I was shocked and amazed at how much damage four sixth grade boys can do to one hotel room in 12 hours. Uh, there were gummy bears in the shower. There was a Gatorade spilled on the bed, uh, pizza slices on the floor. I walked in the morning and one of the beds literally had nothing on it. Everything had just been stripped from the bed. A kid slept in the shower. I don't exactly know what, I just feel like I should apologize. You were the chaperone. Well, I was in another room. Uh, sleeping like a baby. Actually, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but one of the fun things that, uh, on that trip was getting to know uh, our son's teachers, those who, who went along. And I just need to say, uh, to say yes to a calling to be a teacher to sixth graders, that is a godly high calling. Amen. And I, uh, I think as they told stories about how they're investing in their kids' life and our son's life and the sacrifices that they make above and beyond what the city allows them to just get their job done, how they personally sacrifice for their kids. I think we should every week, every day, bless and honor mm -hmm. and thank our teachers for the amazing work that they do. They should be paid 10 times what they're being paid. And as I was thinking about these teachers, the incredible investment they've made into our kids, I thought about my life and the people who've invested uh, into my life. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for others who came before me. And I thought of some of the teachers that I had, and I just felt like God should give them a retroactive like Nobel Peace Prize for dealing with me as a sixth grader. I thought of a teacher I had in high school who invested in me. Her name is Marla Campbell. Marla was my theater teacher junior year of high school, but at the end of our junior year, she said to me, listen, I want to do something different next year. I want you to teach the theater class at our School. It was the first time we'd ever had a student teacher before. She saw something in me and gave tremendous uh, responsibility to me. I, I think of the mentors that God has brought into my life. I think of Cheryl Flesher as a woman who came into my life uh, when I was at my lowest point with God at that point. And God lovingly brought her into my life to walk me through uh, a season where I wasn't sure I wanted to continue on with God. I think about the uh, folks in my life, bosses that I've had who've invested in me. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. One of them in particular, Nancy Orberg, was an incredible uh, investor into me, would give away opportunity to me. In fact, would say no to things for herself so that she could say yes for me to have opportunity as a young communicator and a young leader. And I just thought, God, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for her. I think about my wife and the way that she has helped me become all of who God has created me to be. And she didn't get a paycheck for it. She didn't get nothing for it. This is just an act of love. And God has used her to help me be more of who he created me to be. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but the folks in my life, as I reflect on it, the majority of them that have helped me become who I am are women. Disproportionately, There have been great men in my life who've had a great role in my life, but there have been a significant amount, in my life at least, that have been women. And I don't know if you've ever thought about who has done that for you in your life. Again, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for others before you. Who are the folks that have helped make you better? Who are the folks that have helped make you who God made you to be? In fact, here's a, a way of thinking about it. Great, uh, great question to reflect on. Who are you better because of? I know all the grammar nerds and teachers are twitching when they read that sentence, but it's a teaching illustration. Just go with it, all right? Who are, I know, I already read it. Who are you better because of? Who is it in your life that you're actually better because of? As I just mentioned, my list. And then another way to think about it is this. Who's better because of you? Would anyone add you to their list and say, no, if it weren't for this person, I don't know if I would have had this opportunity or grown in this area or this season in my life. Who is it that helped you, that you helped get here or helped get through or helped get better? Who are you better because of and who is better because of you? As we kick off this new teaching series, Girl Bosses the Bible, we actually want to look at a couple. We're actually going to start with a woman and a man and look at how they made each other better and how they made the lives of significant leaders in the New Testament. In fact, the whole trajectory of the church better because of their showing up and partnering together. What we're going to get is what they got, that they were better together. And we're going to explore how we can see and esteem others more, how we can stand with and stand for others more, how we can bless and, and call out the best in women and in 
men. And in a world where women and men seem to be in constant opposition to each other, could it be that God actually has a better mm-hmm. picture, a greater vision for how we are to relate to each other? Yeah, that's good. So what I want you to do is I want you to grab the Bible that is in front of you. We are going to turn to the New Testament book of Acts. It's found on page 900. And as we said earlier, while not every one of us is a boss, if you will, in our workplace, every one of us is a person of influence in some area of our lives. And so the the girl bosses that we are going to look at over the next uh, few weeks, I think are going to be challenging and inspiring to all of us. In fact, as Jared just said, we wanted to look at a male and a female, and we're going to look at a couple today named Aquila and Priscilla. I love their names because they rhyme, right? Aquila and Priscilla. I kind of wish that we had names that rhyme, don't you? Like every time we're introduced, like our our names rhymes. It's funny that you say that because uh, you know the girl I was dating before I met you. Her name was was Jeanette, and so Jeanette and Jarrett. But that's probably not important right now. I don't think I should have. That's probably not what you were going for. So why don't you just go ahead and open the Bible? Just a thought that maybe shouldn't have come out. Yep. Yeah. We're going to open God's Word. Yeah, let's do um, that. We're going to learn about Priscilla and Aquila, not Jarrett and Jeannie. Yeah, that's uh, right. I, I like their names. I like that they rhyme. But what I love about Aquila and Priscilla is what we see as they partner together. Now, they are a married couple, but I believe mm-hmm. that the things that we're going to see in their relationship apply to our relationships with men and women, whether we are married to the person or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Really cool things for us to pull out and to gain from this couple. So as I said, we are starting page nine. Acts 18.1, and this is what it says. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. Because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So I want to pause right there. We learn a couple of things about Priscilla and Aquila. First, we learn that they work together, right? It says that they are tent makers, so that's their occupation. And so they lead together in an occupation, and they have the same occupation as Paul. Many of you may not have known this, but Paul's actual occupation, he he spread the gospel to all of the New Testament churches, but he was also a tent maker. It is what he did for his occupation. Well, Priscilla and Aquila have the exact same occupation. Well, we learn a little something about this couple, not just that they're tent makers. We learn that they have a spirit of generosity, don't we? Mm -hmm. We learn that they have a spirit of hospitality because the scriptures say that Paul came and stayed with them. Let's go on. I want you to jump down to Acts 18, 24. See, Paul, he sets out and he goes on another trip through Asia Minor and he decides to take Priscilla and Aquila with him on this trip. And this is what it says in Acts 18, 24. They're now in Ephesus. And it says, meanwhile, A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God even more adequately. So we see that first characteristic when Paul was described as staying with Aquila and Priscilla. We now see that characteristic even further, don't we? Mm -hmm. Because here's Apollos, one of the most influential apostles of the New Testament church. He also stays with Priscilla and Aquila. So we see this generosity in their life. We see this hospitality in their life as they open up their home, right? We also notice that 
Apollos, the only thing that he knew of was the baptism of John. But the scriptures say that he was speaking in the synagogue and he was speaking boldly in the synagogue. So Priscilla and Aquila brought Apollos into their home and they began to teach him even more of the actual teachings of Jesus. So in many ways, Priscilla and Aquila are some of the very first recorded Christian theologians. Christian theological teachers, as they are teaching Apollos, who was actually teaching in the synagogues, they cared about the message that Apollos was bringing, and they cared about how he was bringing that message to others. Hmm. So clearly, they're leaders, they're teachers, they're influencers, they're generous, and they're hospitable, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we see these qualities in them. I want you to turn over now to Romans chapter 16. It's the book right after Acts. And we're gonna bump over to Romans for just a moment. Romans 16, and this is in a letter that Paul is writing. And look at what he says about Priscilla and Aquila. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, hmm. not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Hmm. So clearly, they have the gift of hospitality. Hmm. There's a church that meets in their home, right? And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he's saying this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for me. So not only do they have the gift of hospitality, not only did they invite Apollos into their home and taught him theology, but they had risked their lives for Paul and for the church. So we see this as a couple that was incredibly courageous in their faith, right? Now, all the time around here, we say this, and those of you that have gone to midweek, you know that when we read the scriptures, we have to read it through both content and context, right? The, the context is we have to read what was going on when this was written and what is the content of what we read. Well, what you have to understand is that the scriptures were written in a historical time where patriarch, patriarchal leadership was at a rise, okay? So this book was written in such a way during ancient times that it would have been normal every time Paul wrote about Priscilla and Aquila, it would have been standard for him to actually say Aquila's name first. Mm, that's the man. But the times when Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, and when they are mentioned in leadership, when they are mentioned in ministry, Priscilla's name is always written first. Mm. So Paul takes an opportunity. Mm. Paul takes a very clear opportunity here to say, my girl Priscilla is a leader, mm -hmm. right? He takes an opportunity to say, Priscilla is not just trying to come up under the, you know, the tales of Aquila as a leader. She's a leader in her own right. That's right. And so Paul makes it very clear that she is her own leader. Now, you think about this couple, right? They're tent makers. They have this gift of hospitality. They lead a business together. We know a little something about yeah, leading really something together. Something together yeah. We uh, have we've learned a few things over the years. Things. Uh, a few things. A few things. The hard way. Yeah. But hard also fun. But uh, <laughs> that is, it's fun. We get to see a picture of a couple that mutually submits to one another. Aquila submits to Priscilla. Priscilla submits to Aquila. We see this equality in their relationship. And what's beautiful, what's beautiful, as I mentioned, this was written during a time in ancient history when it was loaded with patriarchal influence. Mm -hmm. 
And so we see a woman that is using the fullness of her gift. What's really fun is we studied, uh, you know, this couple, which there's not many verses on them, yet every time they're mentioned, they're mentioned in a way of advancing the New Testament church with Paul. What's so cool, you know, many people don't know this, that the writer of Hebrews is still kind of a mystery. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Lots of people have speculation. As we were studying, there are a lot of theologians that actually believe Priscilla is who wrote the book of Hebrews. So I don't know. I mean, not that that's going to be my first question when I get up to uh, meet the Lord, but I'm going to be like, come on. You let her write it, didn't you? So, you know, it's really beautiful to see this female leader in the New Testament church advancing the gospel. So why is it so important that we start this teaching series on girl bosses in the Bible with a couple, with Priscilla and Aquila? What is it that God wants us to, to get out of that? Well, I think one of the most powerful things that Jeannie just mentioned, one of the most powerful things about this power couple of the New Testament is how they're so often described in partnership together. They partner together at work. They partner together in ministry. They partner together in relationships. And every time they're mentioned, they're mentioned together in partnership. It's almost as if there is an invitation from God for each of us to consider when it comes to our own relationships. And that is this, to let your relationships be reframed, redefined, by partnership. What would it look like for you to let partnership redefine your relationships? Think about that for a second. What would happen if you let partnership redefine your relationships? So often when it comes to the relationships in our world, we tend to think of them and oftentimes act out on them in a sort of give and take sort of way. You know, we, we, we look at it sort of as a, a push and pull. How little do I have to give to this person to get as much as I want? But what if instead of looking at your relationships as a series of wins and losses, you begin to reframe them as a win for all? Hmm. How can we be for each other? How can we work together in partnership to be for each other? What if you let partnership redefine, reframe your most important relationships. Now, for us, our relationship has largely been defined by our partnership. We met in college before we ever started this church. It'd be weird to start a church without knowing each other, but we eventually (laughs) met uh, each other in college, and I was so drawn to Jeannie. I was so drawn to you right away because of your confidence, because you're so fun, so smart, so beautiful. You look just like Amy Grant when we met. And I was like, all right. Um, it's a it big thing. Yeah, it was the early 90s. Big deal. She was big, in deal. Eyes. big deal. Big deal. She was a big deal. She was a big deal. In my life, she was a big deal. And so I was so drawn to you instantly and fell for you. I fell in love with you instantly. And, and you fell in love with me eventually. But. <laughs> We're here now, that's all that matters. But one of the things that I was so drawn to in you when we first met was that you had a clear and articulated calling to ministry. And I had just gone through a process with God where that had become clear in my life. I was on track to become a school teacher. That's the trajectory my life was going and felt a, a calling, a stirring, a changing of direction for me into full-time church work like this. That's why we met at the school that we met at. And I began as we fell in love to dream, we began to dream about what would a life together look like in partnership, specifically doing this kind of stuff, doing church work and ministry stuff. And it was so exciting for us and so inspiring for us to begin to dream about our life together like that. The only problem was, as we looked around the church at that time and the influences that we had in our world, we didn't find a lot of pictures like this. We had a hard time finding uh, men and women serving together as either a couple or just in general in church leadership, which to us was so weird that we didn't see. It felt so natural and normal for how God had gifted and wired us. And why didn't we see that more? Because outside of a, a very few and specific contextually connected passages in the Bible, there is an overabundance of passages in the Bible that talk about girl bosses, that talk about men and women actually serving alongside of each other. Aside from Priscilla and Aquila, which Jeannie just led us through a moment ago, there are all the examples you're going to hear about over the next couple weeks. Next week, you're going to hear about Mary and Phoebe and Sarah. And then there's a ton of women we won't get to, like Deborah and Rahab and these amazing girl bosses in the Bible. And then you get to the life of Jesus and you look at how he completely reframed how we relate to each other, specifically how he Mm-hmm. as a man, a single man related to women. Mm-hmm. His life was surrounded by men and women. 
And you look at the relationships he had with the Marys. You look at the relationship he had with Martha, the way he interacted with the woman at the well. What we see in Jesus when he was first resurrected by God and comes out of the tomb, the very first people that he declares his resurrection to are women. women. And what we see in Jesus is him undoing what sin had done. Hmm. What sin had done to separate, Jesus Mm -hmm. is undoing and giving us a new way of reframing Mm -hmm. and redefining our relationships as partnership with one another. What was so confusing to Jeannie and I is we saw it so clearly and consistently throughout the Bible, but we couldn't seem to find it in the church. Hmm. We just couldn't seem to find any examples of this. And I can understand why. I can understand why. Because if you go back to the beginning of the story of the Bible, go all the way back to the beginning, to the left, Genesis chapter 1, you see uh, this perfect partnership. And I'm not even talking about Adam and Eve. I'm talking about the partnership Mm -hmm. of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working perfectly Mm -hmm. together in partnership. Unity, community, mutual submission to one another. Out of that relationship, they created Adam and Eve for partnership with each other. And all was well in the garden. First two chapters of the Bible, it's a beautiful picture of partnership together until you get to chapter three, and that's when sin enters in. And every time sin enters in, sin separates. Hmm. It separates us from God, and it separates us from each mm-hmm. other. Every time. And that's what happens in this story. And what you begin to see throughout the course of the chapters that follow is you begin to see that this equality and equanimity is replaced with shame and with blame and with power struggles and with selfishness and an inability to see and esteem each other for who God actually created us to be. And within a few short chapters, we get to what Jeannie talked about. Within a few short chapters, you are now in a system of hierarchy and patriarchy. And it doesn't take long for it to bleed off of the pages of the Bible into the world. And it sort of becomes the way of the world. And what we see around the world and throughout history is that sexism leads to suppression of Mm -hmm. women. And suppression Mm -hmm. leads to oppression. Eventually, Mm -hmm. it always does. You're going to hold someone back long enough until you can actually Mm -hmm. finally hold them down. And oppression always leads to opposition. That's what comes next, is that now these are two forces, men and women, actually against Mm -hmm. each other. And it exists and it persists all around the world today. We shouldn't be surprised that there's not a lot of pictures and images of this kind of partnership. In fact, you don't have to look around the world. There's some places in the world where it's happening at extreme measures, some places less so, but you don't even have to look that far than our own country, founded on freedom and equality, and yet, how is it that we only talk about four fathers and not four mothers? How is it that it took us so long to actually give women an equal voice and an equal vote? Women weren't allowed the right to vote until 1920. That's less than 100 years ago, y'all. We've got buildings in Chicago older than that. How is it that of the 100 senators that serve our country, each of our states, of the 100 senators right now, only 23 of them are women? And four of them are women of color. How is that possible? How is it possible that we can live in a world where we don't even pay attention to the incredible gap in wages between men and women? There is a significant gap in wages. Do you know that right now, the gap in wages between men and women right now today in our country is 19.5%. What does that mean? That means every dollar I earn, a woman equally qualified as me only earns 80 cents. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because of this. Born out of the Garden of Eden, creeping its way into our world and our everyday lives. And I know some of you right now are sitting in your seat going, here they go, getting political again. Get enough of this on Facebook. Don't need to hear it in church. This isn't political. Let me be really clear. This isn't political. This is spiritual. This is sin. Let's not be unclear about it. It's sin. That we would not see each other as God actually created us to be equally created in his image. This is a fundamentally spiritual problem. And sadly, surprisingly, sadly, the places where you most often find, where you can consistently find this kind of separation is in the church. Somehow folks who've actually been given the blueprints of partnership fail to follow them Hmm. and build their own foundations. 
-hmm. How is it that the folks who have this message Mm -hmm. of a savior who actually esteemed and honored and held up women can't seem to do so in their own churches? Mm -hmm. They can't seem to get this one Mm -hmm. right. And so that's why we said together, as naive as we were when we first got together, like, hey, maybe one day God might use us to create a space where men and women actually get to serve together alongside each other in equality. Wouldn't that be crazy to actually do what we see here in Priscilla and Aquila? And so we, as we started Soul City Church, let me be really clear. You're clapping now. This is far from a perfect church. I want to be really, really, really clear. If you're coming here like, oh, I'm really liking this. Stick around. We will disappoint you. I guarantee it. I guarantee it at some level. We just will. Not a perfect church. But one of the things I love about this church is we are committed to men and women using the gifts that God has given them Mm -hmm. to advance his kingdom here in this world. It's Mm -hmm. why we believe here at Soul City that we don't allow Mm -hmm. women to lead. Let me be really clear. We don't allow women to lead. We expect them to lead. Mm-hmm. We expect you to lead. I'm really serious. We expect you to use your God-given gifts, your callings, your strengths. And men, we expect you to do the same. Mm-hmm. That's right. We expect you to do no less right. than show that's up right. with the gifts God has given yeah. you so that we can actually write a better story than the one that's been written in our world for the last thousands and thousands and thousands of years. A story like that of Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, a story of partnership, a story of honor, a story of mutual submission, a story that's actually already been written for us if we would just have the courage to live it out together. So I love it. Jared's all fiery and passionate and doing dance moves. (laughs) Well done. Well done. But what does that mean for us? Like, how, how do we do this? How do we not just come to church and get inspired and say, yeah, that's how I want to live. But what do I do? Mm. Like, what do I actually do? How does partnership that is built on honor and mutual submission, how does that start to happen? Well, it starts to happen by choosing to celebrate one another instead of compare ourselves to one another. Mm. When was the last time you celebrated somebody of the opposite gender? instead of compared their life to yours. It it, it comes down to cheering one another on instead of competing with each other. other. Who's further ahead? How can I get further ahead? It it has to do with not having everything be this, uh, it has to be fair, but saying, I wanna find compromises. So often we get stuck on this fairness and what we forget is that as men and women, we are very different and the way that God is going to grow us, the way that God is going to transform us is going to look different. Mm -hmm. And so just asking for it to be this fairness route along the way, fairness actually ended in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) But what we get to do is we get to bring about equality through our relationship with Jesus. You see, a scoreboard in a marriage has never built a good marriage. Mm. A scoreboard at a work environment has never built a good work environment. A scoreboard in a friendship has never built a good friendship. And I wanna speak to just the ladies in the room for a moment. Ladies, are you here? You willing for me to uh, say a few words to us? All right there has been a significant amount of movement that has taken place since these words were written. Praise God, Mm -hmm. amen and amen, but there's more movement to take place. Mm. You know, there is this Chinese proverb that says, when sleeping women wake, mountains move. When sleeping women wake, mountains move. I love, I love that, whoever the Chinese proverb was that wrote that. Um, You know, sometimes the best way to make mountains move, though, is one stone at a time. Hmm. It's one stone at a time. Hmm. And for some of you, ladies, you are looking for the whole mountain to move in an instant and you're unwilling to move your stone. You know, oftentimes, we as women wait for someone else to affirm our brilliance. 
We wait for someone else to affirm our genius. We wait for someone else to affirm our beauty or, or what it is that we have to offer to the world. And perhaps what we need to do is start affirming that for ourselves. To actually look in the mirror and say, God, who have you made me to be? And how are you inviting me to participate in the advancement of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? Some of you are slumbering, ladies. You are asleep. And there are no mountains moving in your life because you're waiting for someone else to wake you up. Well, let this be your wake up. God has gifted you, he has called you, there is a purpose for your life, and it's time for you to start using it. Yeah, that's right. It's time for that's you right. to start using it. At a friend, uh, we went to lunch earlier this week, and um, she said, hey, Jeannie, I would love to share a few things with you. Are, are you open? And I said, yeah, totally, you know, and we were just catching up, and she said, well, they're about you. <laughs> and I, I got interested. Um, because I'm my favorite topic, right? I mean, and, and so I was like, yeah, I, I would love to hear what you have to say. She said, well, I, I see so many ways in which you have stepped into what God has called you to do, but I feel like you only have one foot fully stepped in. She said, I think it's time for you to step all the way in. And she just looked right back at me and she said, it's your time. And I was like, dang, <laughs> that is some truth. And I love that she brought it to me mm-hmm. because there are areas where I play small. There are areas where I sense God has given me an idea or a clarity on something and because I don't want to appear something more than I am, I'll actually pretend that it was somebody else's idea mm-hmm. as a way to play small in the world. Mm-hmm. And so, women, God has gifted you. Are you using it? Mm. Another thing that I want to say to you, we will only move forward in our partnership with one another if we choose to do some significant forgiveness work. Mm. Ladies, there are some of you, and you are carrying around a backpack of stones And those stones are filled with anger and resentment and hurt. And some of it is valid. But that anger and resentment and hurt is to our brothers. And you have built up a wall between you and men. Mm. And you have made them the enemy. Mm. They're not the enemy. Mm -hmm. They're your brother. Son of God. And some of you, the best way to start contributing to the mountain-moving inequality is for you to begin the process of doing your own forgiveness work with men. Mm. It doesn't mean you need to run out and hug every man in this building today. <laughs> but it means, it means that you need to start doing your work. Mm. You need to start doing your work. Mm. You know, um, when I first had this sense and this call to ministry. I was young, I was in college. Um, I didn't even really totally know what a call meant. I didn't even totally know what it meant to be in ministry because I didn't have a lot of examples of it, to be honest with you. Most of the examples that I had had were men. And I remember clearly, though, having this sense that I, I thought God was, was calling me and was asking me to be a part of leading and building his church. And so I thought, well, I, I guess I better learn how to talk to people. I guess I better learn how to give sermons. I guess I better learn how to, you know, you know, like tell the truths of God. And I was at a school at the time, and so I signed up for this class called Expository Preaching. That's exciting. I had a very exciting, exciting class. <laughs> Syllabus was just amazing. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, this is what I have to do. I got to learn how to be a preacher. And I remember very clearly getting my pencils and my notebook and first day of class, I'm great at the start. Uh, I'm a great first day student. The last day, a little rough. Um, 
But I was super excited, and I remember walking into the classroom and sitting down in the front row and thinking, I'm going to learn how to preach this semester. I'm going to learn how to open God's Word and teach God's Word and, and bring all this stuff, content and context, and understand the Greek and the Hebrew and all of it. And I was so excited. And I remember looking around the classroom, and I remember thinking, gosh, where are all the girls? <laughs> I'm the only girl here. And then the professor walked in. I, I can remember it. I can picture the classroom still to this day. And he walked in and he put his briefcase down on the desk and he looked out at his sea of new preachers that he was going to, you know, empower and give them this teach, teaching gift and preaching gift. And he looked out and he saw me in the front row. And he said, honey, that was a bad move. <laughs> How did you get in this class? I said, well, sir, I am so excited to learn how to preach. Um, I can't wait to be in your expository preaching class. And he said, oh, there must have been a mistake at the registrar's office. You can take message prep for women. And I picked up my things, and I had an internal dialogue that went something like this. <laughs> the safe for church version. Let's do the safe for church version. Don't cry. Mm -hmm. Don't shed a tear. They don't deserve your tears and you're gonna out-preach every single man in this class. And that last part was the most broken part. I even feel a bit of a sadness that you just applauded at that. Because I went on a pathway of trying to prove myself compete against my brothers, mm -hmm. find a way to advance above and pass them, mm -hmm. put them in my dust, mm -hmm. make them think they're stupid and they don't know anything and I can out-preach them, I can out-preach circles around them day after day after day, and then what did I do? I went and married a preacher <laughs> that can out-preach me. And what God needed to do in my life was that was the day that grit was born, but I went on a journey for grace to be born. And ladies and men, but specifically ladies, your grit in this world without grace is going to get you nowhere. And your graciousness in this world without grit is going to get you nowhere. And so women, I want to say to you, there is a graciousness and a grit inside of you. Jesus affirmed it to every single woman that he encountered mm -hmm. in the New Testament and in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. You need to find it and you need to start living it. This is not my enemy. Mm -hmm. He's my partner, my best friend, my biggest cheerleader. He wants me to win and I want him to win. And this is what relationship and partnership needs to look like. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. And I would just, I would add this for the men who are here. And I would love your attention, men. I think you've been awesome and engaged in this whole time. I would say, men, you need to recognize, you have to know, you cannot ignore that the scales of preference, advancement, privilege have been disproportionately tipped towards you throughout history. Now, it may not be your fault. You're like, I'm not that guy. I didn't do that. You're right. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility mm -hmm. to do something about it. And to consider however and wherever you can honor, esteem, stand for, stand with your sisters, 
whatever that may look like for you. It takes lots of different uh, reflections and, and places for me. There have been conferences that I have said no to speaking at because it was all men. And I said, unless there's going to be women at this conference speaking and holding the stage, I'm not going to speak there. Or I'm not going to come speak at your conference, but here's the name of an incredible woman who I think would do an amazing job. How can you stand up and stand for and realize that because the scales have been so disproportionately tilted towards you, it's going to take a disproportionate effort to tilt them back. That's not necessarily your fault, but it is your responsibility. And I would say this, men, you can't have a partnership if you're unwilling to do your part. There's no partnership without you doing your part. And I'll tell you, honestly, when I first met Jeannie, fell in love instantly. She fell in love eventually. I love her confidence. I love her drive. It's what draws her to me. And simultaneously, I allow it to sometimes push me away at a distance. Because I look at her and go, dang, I'm not that strong. I don't have it that figured out. I don't have that many. I don't have that kind of confidence. She starts with yes, exclamation point. I start with maybe, it could be. And at times what I allow is her giftedness, her God-given strength, courage, drive. It's why so much God has done so much in and through this church because of her leadership. But I can allow that to draw up all of my insecurities and go, well, I'm not like that. And either shrink down or double down and try and power up and prove that I have a place at the table too, which is just such a ridiculous, endless game. Hmm. Guys, you have to show up. One of the things I love most about this church is when you look across mm -hmm. in every serving position, you see women serving and leading in every position, every volunteer position, staff positions, lead pastor, women serving as elders in our church. When I look across this church, though, I'm going to be honest, I wonder at times, where are the men at? Where are you at? Listen, deferring is not empowering. You deferring your responsibility to do your part is not empowering or making more room for women. It's just you not doing your part. You have to show up with your strengths, with your gifts, with your God-given uniqueness to be a part of what God's doing in this world. And when you do, you set the stage for partnership with each other. Men, the invitation is to all of us, wherever God is prompting, pushing, stirring you right now, to show up in your life, in this church, in ministry, and in your relationships. So that's why we wanted to start this series, The Girl Bosses of the Bible, with a picture like Priscilla and Aquila. A, a picture of a couple that said, we're better together. We're better together. Not, not just married couple better together. Men and women are better together. That is how God designed his kingdom to move forward. And so what we thought it would be so fun to do is to actually practice partnership this week. To practice living out partnership this week. And so we have a homework assignment for all of us here in this church. What we want you to do is we want you every single day this week to find somebody of the opposite gender and to find a way to affirm, esteem, celebrate, lift up, have an opportunity to encourage and say, wow, I love this about you. Now, those of you in this church, you can use your wife one day. That's all right. You can use your husband one day. The other six days, you gotta find somebody else. And what if we became a community, guys, what, and girls, <laughs> what if we became a community that said, I'm not going to just look at the differences. I'm going to look at the ways that God is growing me because of my brothers and the way that God is growing me because of my sisters. And we started encouraging and supporting and lifting up one another. So that's your homework assignment. You have seven days. It starts today to find someone of the opposite gender and to encourage and support and to lift them up. 
Yeah, because the, the, what we see here in Priscilla and Aquila, what we see Paul and Apollos doing is they're reflecting on this incredible power couple of the New Testament. What we see Jesus doing throughout his life is really the invitation and the reminder for all of us. It's this, it's God formed you to be for others. God formed you out of that trinity, that relationship, to be for others, not just to be for yourself but to be for others. He formed you to be for others. That means men, God formed you to be for women. Women, God formed you to be for men. That means God formed you to be for your coworkers. God formed you to be for your friends. God formed you to be for your wife. God formed you to be for your husband. He actually formed and created you to be for others. Amen. Why? Because that's who God is for you. He's a God that's for you. He's a God that demonstrated how much he was for you by offering his son for you. Mm. You were formed by a God who was for you so that you can actually be for others. And what a fun way. I really hope you do it this week. What a fun way for us to practice that. We want to get a head start on our homework. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close out our service a little different. We're just going to wrap it up right here. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you would right now. We're going to close in prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you. Go ahead and grab the hand of the person next to you. Do it this way. Go ahead and do it. Reach across the aisle, scoot over, do whatever you got to do to get there. And not only do I want you to hold their hand, here's what we want you to do. We want you actually to lift your hands up like this, like we are for each other. Now, we're about to pray, and you're going to close your eyes in a second. But before you do, use your eyes to look around this room right now. What if this was what we got right in the church? Yes. Look at all the different men and women, all the different ethnicities, backgrounds, stories. I may not even know the person, you may not even know the person next to you, but you can say, I, look, I don't even know you, I'm for you. I wanna do everything I can to be for you. Do you have any idea what would change out there if we got mm. that right in here? Yes. Unstoppable. It's the story that God actually created us to live together. So let's, with our hands together held up, let's pray together right now. Holy Spirit, thank you for the new work that you're doing in our church. Thanks that we're not the first ones to come across it. You laid the foundation for it in the very beginning of the world. And Jesus, you redeemed and you said, no, there is a new way of men and women relating to each other in partnership. And you modeled it to us. You gave your life so that we could actually give our lives for others. And God, in a world that is so selfish and so push and pull and give and take, God, we just want to be a part of what you're about, holding others up, standing up, speaking up, showing up, shutting up when we need to, to just honor the folks that you've created. Oh God, if we could get this one right, what might change in our city? What might change in our country and around the world if we just lived this one out? So thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing right now in my brothers' and sisters' lives. Thank you for Priscilla and Aquila. Just a few short verses, but what a powerful picture we get of partnership in them. Help us to live up to that in our everyday lives and relationships. We pray by the power of your name. Amen. 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 Amen.